everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And this is our 30th episode. Well, this is exciting. Got my buddy Christian over here who paid us a surprise visit. Why don't you tell everyone how Christian surprised me, Danny? So Christian and I have been planning him coming here for like a month to surprise Giacomo, and it's been really hard to keep it a secret. I'm not very good at keeping secrets, and I was having anxiety about it all month. (laughs) But then on the day of, I had to find a way to get Giacomo to drive all the way into Boston with me without complaining, because I knew he wanted to train in the morning and I was just like, no, let's train tonight, which is completely out of character. So he was like, what, what are you talking about? We, we trained in the day and I was like, yeah, but I feel like training tonight and that didn't go over super well. So we were getting ready to go to the gym and then I had to fake a phone call from my sister that she was going into labor and <laughs> being taken into Beth Israel in Boston. And yeah, Giacomo was really worried because that would make her six weeks early. But when we got to the airport, I was like, oh, how are we going to get to the airport without him like seeing that we're at the airport and not at a hospital? But he was just looking down at his phone the whole time because I was driving. So he didn't even see us drive like through Terminal A and Terminal B. And then when he finally looked up, he was like, why are we at the airport? And Christian was already walking around the car. So that was pretty cool. So Christian, <laughs> how's your trip been going so far? probably been the fastest week of my life it always <laughs> happens like this you know you wait for a month and that month feels like the longest month of your life and then you're here for a week and it comes and goes and it's like i slept and i woke up and now i'm leaving tomorrow and we've been like the worst hosts ever because the day after christian got here i actually went in for surgery which i tried to reschedule because i knew that timing wasn't so great for like his trip in here but i couldn't reschedule it and jack was like why do you want to reschedule it that's stupid get it done with now uh so i did but it actually worked out really well because christian and jackmo took super good care of me while i was recovering i just feel bad because i slept like 50 percent of the time that christian was here so sorry about that well, all I know is I feel like there couldn't be a better way to start the podcast. I mean, personally, I'm not really up and alert at night, and we're kind of recording pretty late right now. But let's see. We had pizza. Sin dogs. Thanks, Stephanie. Yep. <laughs> and cookies right before this podcast, so I'm ready. But yeah, I mean, we've we've done a little bit of food exploring. We hit a, what, Veggie Galaxy when you first got here immediately because, I mean, Veggie Galaxy, right? And... So we went somewhere where we haven't been to in a while, actually. This place called Udabi Bhavan. And they make this uh, buffet. And it just so happens that just about everything on it is vegan. And it's great. Just for the fact that you can go into the restaurant and it's very family-style oriented. And you go in and you say, can you tell me what's vegan? And they point out everything that's vegan. And pretty much almost everything is. You know it's going to be a good time. What do you think of it, Christian? The Indian food is pretty good. It had only been my second time really having uh authentic indian food uh people there we had to wait like 20 minutes before being seated mm-hmm. so you can tell that's going to be a, a good meal if uh, you have to wait if you're ever in the boston area um maybe if you're staying outside of boston it's in lowell and uh it's a little bit hidden it's tiny family run it's just it's really really good so 
I suggest checking it out. So how have your workouts been, guys? I haven't really been able to work out much uh, since I had the surgery, but I have been doing blood flow restriction training a little bit. It's still a little bit too much for me right now, but how's your training been going, guys? Usually I wake up at the crack of dawn. I wake up, uh, don't even eat pre-workout meal. Uh, I go to the gym, do my lifts, go home. But here in uh, with the Vegan Proteins crew, we wake up, go a little later. I actually in pre-workout meals every day since I've been here. I have my preset regimen for the day, and I I can do that comfortably at home and not have to worry. But here it's just a little it's a little more improvising than I'm used to. But I just kind of go with it and not stress because all we do here is uh, we live, eat, breathe, and lift all the time. So. I wasn't in a hurry, Giacomo. Uh, his workouts are a little longer than mine. <laughs> it's because my epic 20-minute rests in between sets because powerlifting. I mean, between Giacomo sets, I can take a pretty good nap and wake up, recover. <laughs> it's actually been nice to have Christian around so I have like another normal person to compare workout times to because usually I finish my workout and I will just like walk on the treadmill and watch literally like an hour of TV on my phone while I'm waiting for Giacomo. And then after that, I get off and I'm just like, how long do you have? How much time do you have left? What do you have left? So it was nice to have Christian also be sitting there just waiting because I was like, oh, I'm not the weird one who has super fast workouts. Giacomo is just insane. I mean, I still had like 70 more minutes of rest and two minutes of sets to go. And they're like both on the bench waiting for me, like glaring at me. I'm like, come on. I I have lots of rest to do on on the gym floor. <laughs> I mean, I can't really complain. He did share his candy with me, so uh, that's true. You know, gains. <laughs> yep. How was your training this week, Jackmo? Man, I've been on cloud nine actually this past week. Cause usually with the powerlifting thing, I'm constantly focused on seeing how much more I can increase my working weights, and it's slow, like a pound here, a pound there. But I decided to switch my form on squats from high bar to low bar, which is something I've been mulling over for over a year, actually. But I shied away from doing low bar because I've always done high bar, and I learned at a very young age. I'm like, why am I going to fuck with something if it's working? Um, but I gave it a shot because I just the, the data shows that most people, not all, but most people can move more weight, and that's the name of the game in powerlifting, move more weight. doesn't matter how you're, you're training your muscles as long as you can get lift more. Um, so I was at a mechanical advantage in low bar. I went for it and I squat jumped up by like, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds overnight. I don't even have the form down yet. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Other than that, I, I have no real complaints about training. I think it's very inspiring. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I love the regiment and the grind where you're waking up at the same time, you're eating a meal at the same time and you're training at the same time because that repetition really gets you in the groove. However, there are exceptions to the rule where I can be equally as, if not more, motivated. And those times generally revolve around when I'm amongst really good company, especially people that I don't get to see very often. Um, having Christian here is like a mini plant-built family for me all, all over again, where I'm amongst like-minded individuals. And if there's ever going to be a time where I'm stepping out of, of my regimen and my groove, it's going to be to train with my fellow vegan lifter, lifting fam. So, I mean, on, on the scale of surgeries it wasn't really a serious surgery compared to like heart surgery or something like that but i've never had surgery before so it was serious to me um basically they found some precancerous cells on my cervix and they had to remove them and send them away for testing and stuff like that 
So it's a pretty gnarly place to have surgery, like physically on your body. And also nobody can see it. So you look like you're totally fine, but it's really painful, actually. Um, They gave me some painkillers and stuff, and I definitely utilized those in the first 48 hours pretty heavily. Um, Yeah, and I totally missed workouts that day. But then the day after that, I went to the gym and just did BFR training, which I think we've talked about on this podcast before. It's where you basically cut off the blood supply to your extremities and lift really, really, really light. So basically, if you think about having your pelvic floor area cut into, you absolutely do not want to brace like you would brace in heavier lifts at all. So by lifting really light loads, and I mean like really, really light loads, like I was doing uh, calf raises with 20 pounds on the machine, Um, but you do like 60... Actually, you do like 75 reps in a very short period of time. And you get a good pump, and it still drives like hypertrophy. The first day was actually mostly okay, and then I just walked on the treadmill. And then we actually went to Salem, Mass., which was cool because Christian had never been there. And we went to the Witch Museum and Count Olaf's Gallery of Nightmares, which was really cool. Um, But we did a lot of walking there, too, was the point. And... The next day, I definitely felt it. So I stayed home that day. And then today, I think today was the only other day I've trained since then. And it was it was rough, actually. <laughs> About halfway through the like scheduled BFR, I was like, yeah, no, fuck this. And I went on the treadmill. And then about 15 minutes into that, I was like, yeah, no, too much still. So then I sat on the recumbent bike. <laughs> and I felt pretty defeated. But I was still happy that I was able to get anything done at all. But surgery went well overall. We'll get final results in a few weeks and hopefully it's no big deal. So meh, whatever. Moving right along to our topic today is something that we've been talking about um, all week actually and that is sportsmanship in the arena of bodybuilding. So we have witnessed some incidents at the past few bodybuilding events that we've been to that really have brought up the topic of sportsmanship and um, how you handle your placing at shows and things like that. And it is not something that I think a lot of people, especially people new to bodybuilding, really understand what to expect going into a show. And uh, that it's, it's not really something that you can train to win for. And We'll explain that more in a minute. But yeah, definitely thought this was a topic that we could dive into. So I guess by your definition, guys, what would you call, like, what is sportsmanship to you? When I think of what sportsmanship means to me, I think it means showing appreciation and respect for the competition that you are partaking in and everything about it from your own participation uh, in regards to the participation of others in regards to the rules and just making sure that you put on a good show regardless of your own personal feelings about how you performed how others performed or how the the judges because i guess we're talking about bodybuilding um judged the the event i mean it's your reaction 
and, and the way that you experience and play the game? Uh, to me, sportsmanship can be uh, interpreted in many different ways. Well, first of all, you train for months or years or however long you, um, you've trained up until the competition. Initially, you may not know who you're competing against. It can be people who have been training longer than you have. It can be people who have been training uh, less time than you have. And when you're up there, you just you go out there, you, you do your best, and you can't really control what the judges think. Up until the competition, you've done everything you can do. Uh, you put in the work, uh, and you know other people have too. And the judges are in charge of the results, and you're not. So whether you you place first, you place last, you place somewhere in between, you don't necessarily have to be happy where you placed. Uh, but you know it's just about being respectful to other people who have also put in the work. Uh, the whole thing in and of itself is just experience. Uh, the deeper you get into competitions, the better you get at them. And whether or not you're happy with, with how you place in the competition, what's important is that, that you went out there, you competed, you, you put yourself out there, something that many cannot do. Yeah, I think you guys both touched on um, what I think is the key component to sportsmanship, and that is respect. And you both said that. So I guess the question is why why does sportsmanship matter so much specifically in the sport of bodybuilding? I think sportsmanship matters because bodybuilding well it's a large sport but compared to like football or or M- the NBA it's it's small. It's a smaller community. People know each other a little better. There's names out there that you can recognize. Yeah, there's people out there you recognize and you're going to run into them in other competitions because people do travel for the sport. So you, the more competitions you do, you, uh, you you build a reputation over time. People get to know you, you get to know other people. I know what you mean because we keep, you know, there's a, I know what you mean because it's a really, really small community. And the other thing about bodybuilding is that as much as it's a head-to-head competition when you get up there on stage in some ways, it's also an incredibly um, individual sport and a very personal sport. I mean, the majority of your energy and your effort and everything you do to become the best version of yourself, you do by yourself. And you actually isolate yourself when you when you get into uh, becoming a competitive bodybuilder to get in the zone and to do what you want to do. Um, and I think when you get on stage and you realize that you're up there amongst other people doing it, that's the time to come together. You know, I mean, the, the placing shouldn't matter. The competition shouldn't matter. Those are like small components of the experience. And I think there should be that mutual respect for one another as competitors, realizing every single person on that stage, regardless of how long they're doing it for, took it to that level. And that should never... that. There, I don't think there's anything that should ever be taken away from that. And unfortunately, um, since, you know, to reiterate, we're talking about sportsmanship here. I think that people can really miss the mark on that because they don't understand how their actions and their reactions can affect the other competitors on stage, you know? It's really easy for everybody up there to think they had the hardest prep of everybody up there and they 
put in the most work and they dialed everything in the hardest. So they deserve to win because the last four months has been hell for them. But you have no idea what the other people on stage went through to get where they are. And maybe you do have the hardest prep or maybe you didn't, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is what shows up on that stage that day. And even then, there's lots of reasons why that may not have you win or lose. And part of that is because of the reputation that you build over time. Like Christian said, it's a small community, especially the natural bodybuilding community. And you do see the same faces every show you go to, or lots of the same faces over and over again. And if you're the person who threw a fit or pouted their way off stage, then people are going to remember that at the next show. And it could very well be a lot of the same judges. And whether they intend to or not, it's really hard to not hold poor sportsmanship against a competitor that's on stage. In the professional bodybuilding world, you know, you see rivalries between Phil Heath and Kai Green, and, you know, you there is beef between them. And you kind of go and you, if you're a spectator, you see, you kind of ask yourself, what's going to happen this time? Like, is there going to be a fight? Or are they going to be a little better about placing? Or, because, you know, it's a very competitive sport. I think it's important to remember that the pros at the top, like Phil Heath and Kai Green, a lot of that, that beef that they have, so to speak, is, is pretty manufactured for the audience as well. Kind of like professional wrestling in a way where, yeah, obviously they want to beat the other person, but a lot of that, like, edging each other off the stage and the smack talking that they do beforehand. A lot of that is specifically for the hype to keep people engaged and keep them interested in what's going on. And when you bring that down to a smaller local level, it's not funny. It doesn't engage the crowd. It basically just makes people think you're a dick, (laughs) you know? Uh, So it is a good point. And people will remember you and there's nothing that pisses people off more than somebody that is a poor sport about things. And, you know, it's, we just talked about the judging and how sometimes they can hold a grudge against people who have shown poor sportsmanship in the past. But even if you haven't shown poor sportsmanship, it's important to remember that the judges are human. And what makes this sport so different from so many other sports is that the judging is 100% subjective. There is a criteria for each category, but it is very, very loose. You know, you look at people who run sprints, like, you know who won, you know who came in second and third and fourth, etc., because it is very, very clear when people cross the finish line. Even things that sometimes seem subjective, like gymnastics or figure skating, there are things that they need to execute in a very specific way, and they get judged on that. With bodybuilding, and even more so divisions like physique and bikini, a lot of it is just like, what do you think looks the best? And that's going to vary so much from judge to judge. And show to show, actually. You can bring the same exact package to two different sets of judges, and one panel will put you at the top, and the other panel may not even, you may not even place, actually. And that's just it. I mean, you can't really get hung up on a judging panel that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you did bring a better package than another competitor, but if for whatever reason or another, even if you showed it on stage, if they were drawn to another competitor, you know, it's, 
it's nothing personal and that can vary from show to show and it could be for any number of reasons and that's the other thing i mean i think people you know they get so hung up on their actual placing that they don't realize that the judging itself is cumulative so say you have uh 10 judges right and you know i would say more than half of the judges voted you up you can take it when he says cumulative, it means like 10 judges are going to place everybody on stage first through last. And you could be put in a different spot by every single judge down there. Uh, you know, somebody could have you in first. Someone could have you in fifth. Someone could have you in seventh. Uh, and it you could end up in third, which none of them picked you for. You know what I mean? Just because it's cumulative. And a lot of people think that the judging in bodybuilding is like a unanimous decision. Like they all huddle together and pick the winner. And it doesn't work like that at all. Um, you know, usually it's not where someone has you in first and someone has you in fifth and seventh. It's usually more like someone has you in second, someone has you in third. And whoever, you know, if more people have you in third, then you generally end up in third, for example. But it's definitely nowhere near a unanimous decision. And kind of going on the note that the sport's totally subjective, you know, like if there's 10 judges, each of them aren't going to want the same thing. Some will go for the for the competitor that has better conditioning. Some will go for the ones that have better symmetry or size. And even if you have all three, someone else can have something that the judges want. Even if you have the best physique up there, it doesn't mean that the judges are going to necessarily pick you for first because they may not be looking for what you have. And it also totally goes the other way as well. Uh, I noticed this at my very first competition when I was shocked that I placed as high as I did. Like to me, looking at the pictures afterwards, I saw other girls that I thought should have placed ahead of me, but they didn't for whatever reason. The judges that day put me ahead of them and maybe they went home saying, God damn it, I got robbed of a placing because that girl got an extra placing but over time like as you compete in this sport for a long time it's gonna go both ways sometimes you're gonna feel like you got robbed of placing by someone who placed ahead of you that maybe didn't deserve to but sometimes you're gonna be the person that's robbing someone else of a place and you might go home feeling a little bit bad about how well you placed in front of somebody else you know uh, I think all three of us can speak on the fact that we have been in these situations ourselves where we got placings that uh, perhaps we were not too happy with, and that's just the way that the game goes. Um, do either of you want to talk about that? And when you're on stage, the one thing you don't want to do is psych yourself out right away. You know, some pl some competitors will start out on the very edge and move towards the middle, but just because you got call-outs and got placed towards the middle doesn't mean you 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 locked in first and you don't want to start getting excited and you know get into your head and claim the victory internally because someone who got moved from the middle out to the outside can still take first and if you you think you placed based on where the judges placed you on stage and you start to to kind of adopt the mindset that you won or you lost just because you know your your stage placement you can start going uh, down a path. You can end up really disappointed or you can end up really excited or it can catch you by surprise, but nothing's set in stone until it's 
well set in stone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess the other thing you have to remember about placings is that sooner or later in this type of sport, you're just going to get better and better over time. And eventually, you know, you're going to get placed ahead of the pack if you just persist with it. And if you lose your motivation because you're so hung up on your placings, your first couple of years in or, you know, five, seven years in the sport, you're down, you're, you're in store for a real, uh, hard, yeah, a rough road, so to speak, and a miserable road. And, you know, I think you just need to be patient with the sport and, and accept the process for what it is. I mean, I remember at your first competition, Christian, um, which you prepped your ass off for, and it was like your first year lifting. Like you'd only been lifting for like a year and a half, right? Not even. I'd been lifting for, uh, I'd started lifting the June before actually a year yeah yeah so about a year um and you placed third out of three um how did you feel about that i guess and how did you handle it on the bright side i you know i was guaranteed a placement i did place you know i I went into that show not knowing what to expect when i got on stage and found out there's only three competitors it's it's tough because you're guaranteed a place but where you place is up in the air and relative right to how many and relative to how many people you're on stage with you know what i mean like so like if you got fifth out of 15 that's actually really good that's the top third but if you got fifth out of five maybe you end up not being so happy about it even though you still place technically yeah with three people in my class i was guaranteed to place like i said uh and getting third was kind of it was rough for me because i busted my ass i i put in the time i put in the hours my body fought me tooth and nail through the competition. And like Danny said earlier, you know, you don't know who had the hardest contest prep. You, you could have had the hardest contest prep. Someone else could have had the hardest contest prep. Uh, so getting third out of third was, it was rough. I went backstage after the show and just kind of, I let my emotions get the better of me, but I didn't, I didn't let my placing, affect my views of other competitors or your stage presence yeah that's what i remember from the audience anyway you still looked very happy mm-hmm. to be getting your trophy and i think not everybody does that some people hear their placing and you can literally just see their face fall and to me that in and of itself is poor sportsmanship and while i didn't get first what i did uh what i did get from that competition more than anything why i went out there was for the experience I had never competed before. I didn't know what to expect. But walking away with the experience and just uh, gives you a better idea of how to go along with the show the next time you compete. Because uh, if you beat yourself up over where you placed um, in your first competition. It's silly. I mean, because it's your first competition. Like, you are only going to get better from there. You know what I mean? Um, and you did, actually. Very much so, and you're continuing to become a much better bodybuilder, like literally before our eyes this season, which is really cool. But I guess that's that's neither here or there. I mean, you are in a position where you very easily could have been a piss-poor sport and thrown a fit, but you didn't do that. And it was your first show ever, and you still didn't do that. Uh, and to me, that says more about how you're going to be as a bodybuilder in the long run than what your physique actually looked like on stage that day. Yeah, and placing third out of third, I did, I did get into my own head about it, and I thought about it. Um, I kind of molded over, and while I felt unmotivated and 
just a little disheartened at the time. I just kind of took that and and eventually turned it around and, and uh, just told myself, well, I got third out of third this time, but if I keep doing this, next time I compete, you know, it can be a completely different experience. I can lock in a better placing in a, in a larger class, which did happen in my second competition the following year. Uh, I think my contest prep was a little rougher. My body fought me even worse. I was doing twice as much cardio as the previous season, and I did compete in a class of five in novice, and I locked in second. My conditioning wasn't the greatest, but I had size and symmetry, and people who placed below me had better conditioning. Or size. or Yeah, they had better conditioning or, um, or size, but the judges were looking for something specific. And the person who did beat me took the overall in the novice category. And, you know, he told me his backstory about how he got injured and he'd only been, he is forced to take time off of lifting heavy. And he was basically, uh, he had plans to compete, but he got injured and was forced to take a longer off season, which ultimately he used to his advantage. He, he had a, a long I think he said a 50 week cut which is really long for a cut and he went out there uh, as soon as he was able to compete and he locked in first in in lightweight and overall and he could have let that injury defeat him and quit the sport completely but he put in the work just like everyone else on stage and and took first and he was proud of it and I was happy for him because if you get injured when in training you know who's to say you you may or may not come back to the sport. You may give up. You may keep going, uh, even if you don't know what's for certain. Even though this that competition season or the on season for that year was a little rougher, I was expecting to not place as well as I did because I I just uh, going into the competition I wasn't happy with how prepared I was. But I did end up placing well, and that kind of it kind of uh, gave me a little relief because I was stressing so much about not being in prime condition or as good as I wanted to be. But I went out there and just did my best, and I was happy with where I placed. Right, and I think that basically accepting where you're at and not getting caught up on placings is what's going to give you the chance to stick with the sport. You know, you see individuals who get so bent out of shape when they're their first. And I, I mean, I, I can't stress this point enough. This is not, this is not the type of sport that you're just going to become elite in overnight. It's not going to happen in two years. It's not going to happen in five years. I don't care how genetically gifted you are. If you want to be the best person, the best version of yourself out there on stage, it's going to take 10 years or more. But regardless, even the elite have to compete against each other, and somebody's going to get first, and somebody's going to get last. And as far as the idea of sportsmanship, I mean, we've seen pro shows where people have thrown their trophies down on the stage like children. Oh yeah, it's terrible. I mean, you're and you're and you know you're talking about a whole different facet of it because when you get to that point where you know that you have uh, the ability to chase for that pro card, or you know that you are already a pro and that you're one of the better pros, 
and so you're going to you're going into those shows with a whole different kind of mindset like man i want to get one of those those top placings and so that's that's kind of whole different that's a whole different facet of this sport where you're trying your best to to win or lose gracefully based on how the judges are going to place you but regardless of whether it's your first competition or you're gunning for the world championships the need for sportsmanship is going to be the same completely across the board that is something that is not going to change from day one to day 1000 and partially it's because there's nothing you can do about your competition you're not going to outperform your competition on show day I mean outside of like screwing up your peak week I guess but that has absolutely zero bearing on the competition like you're not going to play head games with them and get an inch ahead or anything like that. That would be ridiculous. And you can't control what they look like. And you can't control what the judges want. So you need to have that essence of good sportsmanship all the way through your entire bodybuilding career. Because if you don't, you are going to have a really bad time. And in any sport, not just bodybuilding, one of the few ine- inevitable things you have to realize is that not everyone can get first place. Someone's going to place second. Someone's going to place third. Someone's going to place where they don't want to place. And whether or not they're happy with that placement, they just have to accept it because if you let your placing in a single competition defeat you and you say, screw it, I'm not going to compete again, then you, and you throw in the towel, then you don't have a chance for redemption. You don't have a chance to show yourself you can do better you know, you just you make the experience what you want to make it. And if you decide to quit, then so be it. If you turn it around and say, oh, my third place is third place this time. But who's to say next year I can do so much better. And if you go out there the next year and take first and someone takes third, you know, they're in the same position that you were in when you didn't place as well as you wanted to place. So just being persistent and realizing that whether you're the winner or 15th, not everyone's going to place where they want to place. And I think it's it's important to reiterate what I said before. If you stick this sport out and you compete in it over a course of several years, you're going to be on both sides of that at some point. At some point, you're going to be the person who didn't place and you're going to be the person who placed really, really well. And you need to be able to accept both of those situations gracefully. Uh, I can use plant built last year as an example of I came in looking at that point the best I ever had and I had won the show the year prior so I was you know hoping to do better than that the following year and it was a class of like 13 or something and uh, I was competing with you know 13 other athletes one of them who's Simone Collins um, from Australia who I had just met and I've been I I had been ogling her delts online for years (laughs) and um you know when we actually were side by side I realized yeah obviously she's got the conditioning and she's got the upper body but I thought maybe I had her in the lower body and just overall shape so I was like depending on what the judges are looking for like I may have a chance and in my opinion the competition wasn't as competitive that year as it had been the year prior and this time I didn't place at all I did not place at all, and uh, I was kind of bummed out about it, actually. I ended up being the only bodybuilder on Plant Built who didn't place last year, which sucked, 
And yeah, I was pretty bummed out about it, but I never let that show on my face to the other competitors because, well, for several reasons, but one of them is if competitors are like crying backstage, how do you think that makes the people who placed really well feel? It's like they can't even enjoy their win because they know that other people are really upset about it, or at least... If it was me, if it was the other way around, I would feel really bad if I saw other people crying backstage because they didn't place. Um, so there's like there's no place to sit there and pout and sulk. And I think it's completely normal to feel down if you don't place well. But you want to kind of like lick your wounds in private, I think. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. <laughs> in my first competition, I placed third in... While I was bummed out, I went backstage and people were happy for me. They were rejoicing at the fact that I competed, I did my best. And even though I wasn't all all too thrilled about placing third out of third, people were happy for me. And if I if I went back there and if I just, you know, I kicked my bag or showed that I was mad, then, you know, it kind of takes the fun out of it all. Because pe- if people are happy for you and you can't be happy for yourself that takes away from the experience in itself like danny said if you go backstage and start crying the person who placed above you and who who is extremely proud of the work they put in and the results that they got just kind of puts a damper on everybody's day no exactly you're you're exactly right christian and that's just the way that it should be is that Everyone should be supporting one another back there as competitors. <laughs> it's actually, uh, I'm trying to think back to every single show that I've ever done, you know, and it's been more than a handful, probably two handfuls worth of shows over time. And <laughs> I can't remember ever once being mad at another competitor, whether I placed last or whether I placed first. And, you know, furthermore, <laughs> The longer I, the longer and longer I compete, the happier I get around other competitors, regardless of my placing, because I remember that I love this sport and I love the fact that I get to get together with other people whom I've never met before. And at the end of the day, we are all like, "Hey, we were just in this whole this whole show together," and that's pretty freaking awesome. There's one particular organization, the OCB, that that I competed at my, at my last competition season. I was really happy about the way that they ran things. I mean, the camaraderie back there that the the promoters and the the expeditors and whatnot fostered was awesome. I mean, we would line up backstage, and basically we were all encouraged to pretty much high-five each other and sort of, you know, and I didn't see that five to ten years ago, but the, the last couple of shows that I did, and it was OCB in specific, it was like everybody was encouraged to lift each other up back there. And I think that's something special. And, you know, we shouldn't forget about that and how much that means to the other competitors um, and for the game itself. I remember, um, but two years ago, I competed on a stage with Tiffany Burich. And I remember after I, I placed first, she placed third. And afterwards, uh, some people were asking me, like, Basically, if her and I were butting heads, like if we were arguing or bitter towards one another or anything like that, and I remember us both just being so confused. Like, no, why? Why Why would we be? Like, we're like sisters. It's One of us was going to place higher than the other one. That's just the way it goes. 
Could have been her. Could have been me. And uh, same thing last year when Simone got second and I didn't place at all. It never even once crossed my mind to be upset with Simone. It didn't even cross my mind. Simone was so happy. Remember she came backstage and put her trophy on her head and did that cute little pose with her trophy on her head and it was adorable. I mean, she came to the U.S. and competed in the U.S. for the first time ever and she placed second. That's awesome. Um, I was super, super happy for her. And you can be happy for someone else and still bummed with your own placing without them being sort of dependent on one another. You know what I mean? The bodybuilding community being such a a tight-knit community at times, there is a high probability you can compete against your best friend in the same class. And going into the show, your best friends and on stage, your rivals. But if you let your placing affect your relationships, it can... It can either make them better, it can make them worse. It depends on your reaction to the results. Totally. And I think you need to sort of practice your sportsmanship beforehand. Like, you know, a lot of people like to envision themselves winning first and use that as like a visualization tactic before the show. But it's kind of important to visualize yourself not doing well beforehand as well. So that you're not just absolutely shocked and appalled because it could go any way and you want to uh, gracefully accept it no matter which way it goes. So that's just a little tip. That's very true, actually. Last year, that kind of happened to me where I had finally placed first at a show for the first time in a very long time. And I had one more show left in the season. And that next show... I think I placed like third or fourth, but I went into it thinking, man, I took first this last show and I went up in the overall and I could have got a pro card. I didn't get it. So I'm going to do this next show. And man, I visual visualizing myself possibly doing that this next show. And then I got up there and I had that in my mind and uh, I, th- I placed like fourth or third. I don't remember out of like a lineup or six or seven. But all I know is like, you know, I just um, it was almost a letdown to me because I went in with these expectations um, and that kind of like was what I was talking about earlier uh, in this episode where, you know, you get to that point where you know you're getting competitive and you sort of have to still check yourself if you don't place where you want to, uh, you know, and bow out gracefully at the end of the season. Because every show is its own beast and you can't look at it like, well, I placed second in this show. I must just be getting better. I'm going to win first next time because every show is an entirely different game. So you have to think about it as, yeah, you're a better competitor, but every time you walk into a show, you're kind of starting from scratch. And going into any given show, whether you have high expectations, low expectations, you know, your expectations aren't reflective of of your placing because you can have really, really high expectations. Like Giacomo said, you placed first in the previous competition, but went into the next competition placing third or fourth. His expectations of himself didn't lock in his placing in, in his following show he got third or fourth not the first place he was hoping for but it can be at the other side of the spectrum too where you, you can think oh i'm not as good as i was last show or or you know i i'm not in peak condition and you're not going to expect to place well but at the same time you can go into that show with low expectations and you can very well take first mm-hmm. because the judges want what the judges want not yeah it's not something you can plan for and I think, I think this, what we're talking about today is a huge reason why so many people really dislike the sport of bodybuilding and don't understand it because 
you can't look at a stage full of people and say, well, there's the winner and just know it's the winner. So it's confusing for a lot of people. Like I've sat in the audience with people watching bodybuilding shows and had them just lean over and be like, I can't tell the difference. (laughs) And I get that. I, I do understand that. I think that is part of why it is so, so, so important to get into competing in bodybuilding for the right reasons. And I kind of want to hear you guys talk about what you think the right reasons are, since we just talked a lot about why competing for the placing is very clearly the wrong reason. To me, competing for the right reasons means that basically the competition itself is just one very, very small facet of the big picture of why you're bodybuilding. Here's the deal. I love competing. I love competition and I thrive on it actually. I mean, all my life I've played sports and from a very young age, I absolutely, I love going head to head with people. I love um, all of it, but I also know that playing the sport um, and embracing the competitive aspect of it will not define myself as an athlete. What defines me as an athlete is becoming the best possible version of myself. And as far as it pertains to bodybuilding, that's what I go up against. And I've it's something that I've tried to tell myself uh, over and over again until it I become I can hopefully continue to work on becoming the embodiment of it. Where it's every time I get out there, it's I know for a fact that I am going to have brought a better package than the last time that I stepped on stage. And if I've done that, I have literally, I've won. I've hit the fucking jackpot. There's like, there's no way I could get any higher. As far as the placings, to me, that's like the icing on the cake. However, it's also another part of the game. You know, like I said, I thrive on that. I love the competition, but it does not define the reasons why I choose to be a hardworking athlete. I do that because I love what I do. And I think it's very important to remind yourself of that when you step into the sport and to not get lost in the process of judgings and wondering what everyone's thinking about you. Oh, I'm the third place person. Why should I even do this anymore? It's like, no, that's not what it's about, you know? What about you, Christian? I mean, what what drives you to to be a part of bodybuilding? What drives you to, to bring it to the point where you're competing? I don't think there really are any right or wrong reasons to compete. Your reasons are your reasons alone, you know? Uh, Everyone has something that motivates them, and if it motivates you to compete, then that's your reason. For me, uh, I don't like placing myself out there. I don't like being the center of attention. I don't, you know, I get people anxious. I don't like crowds, but when I decided to compete, it was because I saw Plant Built compete, uh, the team I'm on now. Uh, They competed in... 2013 for the first time and I saw what their their intent was and they had the intention to show that that you can live a cruelty-free lifestyle without needing animal proteins to become a an elite athlete and that kind of inspired me me to set aside my my anxieties around being the center of attention because I too wanted to show that that if I put in the work and and do my best that I can also show people that you don't need animal products or to consume animal protein, you know, and just go out there and be a great athlete. So whatever the reason, I mean, never forget that 
everyone else that you're out there has their own personal reason that is way more important than a placing ever should be. You know, so many people out there are just happy about the fact that they've made a transformation, that they've, you know, for whatever, you know, they've overcome so many different obstacles to get there. And, you know, there's nothing that should, there's nothing that can take that away from the other competitors faster than people basically becoming catty, for lack of a better word, about placings. You know, you go out there, you enjoy the process, and that's that. Moving on to our product review segment today, we are actually going to be talking about a corn product, uh, Q-U-O-R-N. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with the corn products. They're in most major supermarkets across the country. And as I'm sure almost everybody is thinking right now, corn products are not vegan. Uh, They are a meatless alternative, but they, up until this point, they have all had egg in them as a binder. And for many years, vegans have been saying like, what the heck, corn? Why aren't these vegan? And corn has responded by coming out with a vegan line. And as of right now, I believe it's just four products, and we tried some of them today, and we're going to talk about the vegan corn spicy chicken patty, which we tried today. So what makes corn different from uh, Boca or Gardein or even Beyond Meat is that it's not made out of soy or gluten or pea protein. The protein that they use is called mycoprotein. And I don't know if that name is trademarked or not, but mycoprotein is made from a fungus called Fusarium venenatum, Fusarium venenatum, which I could very well be pronouncing wrong. And then it is fermented to create this plant-based protein. And usually they add egg to all of their products to hold them together, but they must have been working on it to find ways to do it without that because they have these products. And... We tried two products today, uh, the spicy chicken patty and then something called chicken cutlets, which kind of reminded me of like diced up bits of Beyond Meat. Um, But the spicy chicken patty was definitely the standout of the two. It was really, really good. It reminded me of like the spicy Boca chicken patties, but heartier, I guess. Uh, The breading around it had some herbs in it. And the macros on it are okay. It's kind of like an equal part carbs, fat, and protein. It's not particularly high in protein, but it is quite tasty. So if you see it, definitely I suggest picking it up, especially because the more people who purchase Corn's new vegan products, the more encouraged they're going to be to keep coming out with vegan products or making some of the products they already have actually vegan. So... I'm not sure how many of them are in stores yet, but um, what did you think of it, Christian? Because I know you tried it too. I thought it was really good, actually. The flavor was there. It was uh, it was balanced and had a nice kick to it. Uh, the consistency was perfect. Uh, I put it in a wrap and used some some other condiments like uh, Let Thy Food uh, there, spicy nacho cheese and some mustard and lettuce and it it's perfect for wraps or you could use it for burgers too or burger patties and i don't really experiment with too many uh vegan burgers but 
of the handful of the ones I have tried, this one was probably one of my favorites, honestly. You know, I'm actually going to comment on the flavoring itself outside of the meat. Although I didn't know that it was a, uh, what, what did you call it then? What kind of protein? Myco, myco protein. Yeah, I had no idea. I, I just assumed that it was, you know, either gluten or soy based or pea protein based. That's pretty surprising, actually. <laughs> uh, but the, the whatchamacallit, the, um, the patties, the, the crust that was around them, it was really good. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it had uh, a really good flavor, a really good texture too. It was uh, very crispy. I find like a lot of the the meat analogs that are out there, the the bready texture, it's just it doesn't crisp up like the way that the corn did, and the corn products just kind of remind me of. Just like that texture that I feel like I've been missing from some of the other meatless products out there. So I enjoyed them. It's got like a denser breading to it, like a panko with seasonings type of breading to it. But how would you compare it to the Boca spicy chicken patties? Because I know you really like those. Well, like you said, that that panko bready kind of thing, it was pleasant. It was nice. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the Boca spicy chicken patties also. But I taste a little more of the, um, you know, sometimes the the meatless part of it itself, you know, can overpower the seasoning. And with the corn products, I feel like there was a good balance of the two. You know, I got the the crispiness from the breading, but I also got the the patty itself, the flavor from both. Yeah, so there's one more product that we're going to try, hopefully, in the next few days. And it's if, if Shaw's has it in stock, we're going to get the corn vegan veggie burger, which looks like it'll be good. And um, we'll let you guys know probably online how that is. But if you see it, definitely pick it up. Check out the corn section. I know most of us have learned to just walk right by it. But if you see it, take a look a little bit deeper right on the front it says up in the corner i'm vegan so oh it's pretty easy to find and check it out we definitely want to be encouraging more companies to include more vegan products and a lot of companies seem to be moving in this direction so i'm really happy to see corn doing the same thing and if you like it feel free to shoot them an email and let them know that you like it i'm sure they'd be glad to hear it Moving on to our Q&A segment for today's podcast. Got a question on the Facebook group asking us to suggest some books. What are some good suggested reading? So I'm actually going to suggest two books by the same author right now that I just recently finally purchased after longing for them for quite a while. So the books are by Eric Helms. And they are the Muscle and Strength Pyramid books. And there's one on nutrition and one on training. And I believe you can get them at muscleandstrengthpyramid.com. And it's $67 for both of the books, which is kind of a steep price to pay for two ebooks. But they are absolutely indispensable to understanding what is the most important things about training and nutrition. So we talk a lot on this podcast about what, you know, getting your 
big rocks in a row before you start placing your pebbles on top. And, you know, you really want to focus on what is going to give you the most results for the least effort, I guess, rather than focusing all on all the little tiny details that aren't going to make a difference if you're not able to stick to it, for example. Uh, this tells you what order you should be focusing on. And there's one specifically for training, which is the one that I'm finding to be the most fascinating personally, and one specifically about nutrition, which I think most people who listen to this podcast will probably get the most out of that book. Um, a lot of it is stuff that I already know in the nutrition book, but it is always great to hear somebody else's perspective, especially somebody who's as an who is as intelligent and well-studied as Eric Helms, and also to hear the way that he is able to word things in layman's terms without dumbing things down too much so that I can then help other people to learn these things as well using some of his terminology. So these books have nothing to do with veganism specifically, but if you are interested in training and or nutrition, I can't recommend them enough definitely check them out and if you're wary about dropping $67 on two ebooks you can also go to YouTube and the 3D Muscle Journey channel Eric Helms has overviews um, that are pretty in-depth they're like half hour long videos about the muscle and strength pyramids for both training and nutrition so you can check that out for free as well all right our next question here I have a problem I try to eat as much as I can but cannot achieve my calorie carb protein daily goals. I'm supposed to eat 2,700 calories, but I can only eat 700. What should I do? I feel like I eat enough, but I don't. If you need to hit like a certain amount of calories or carbs, proteins or fats, but you're having trouble eating that much volume, it's just about finding more, uh, I guess, macro dense foods. Because you know, if you eat if you need to eat like 2,500 calories or 2,700 calories per day to hit your goal and you're eating lettuce and a lot of vegetables and fruits, which aren't calorie or uh, macro dense, I guess, then you're going to have trouble. So if you need to hit a high protein goal, you don't want to be eating a lot of Brussels sprouts and broccoli all day to hit, let's say, a 150 gram protein goal for the day. So when you're finding yourself having a problem hitting your allotted macros or calories for the day, you kind of have to take a look at the food you're eating and evaluate them a little closer and find out and there's usually a reason why you are having trouble eating more food. I mean, obviously some of us just some of us just have a hard time eating and there's just no way around that, but there are certain types of foods that can be a little easier to get down, they're a little more dense. Uh, one thing that I would say is at the top of that list would be liquid. Liquid calories are the easiest to consume, you know? Um, so you, know, you can take things like sweet potatoes or uh, beans and you can blend them up. And believe it or not, the calories will rack up real fast. So, you know, it's like drinking. Can you drink three, three cups of water? If you can, then chances are you can have a 24-ounce shake with, you know, as much as 500 calories. In it. And that's already you're more than two-thirds of the way there. The other thing that you can do 
is monitor your fiber intake. I mean, say if you're doing nothing but eating beans all day long and cruciferous veggies, I mean, chances are that if you're the type of person that's having a hard time eating, then you know, you're probably going to miss the mark um, on your caloric goal for the day. When I first started lifting and training to put on size, I remember reading something about Derek Tree Size's bean shakes, which had a, like two cups of beans and dates and protein powder and peanut butter and other uh, macro dense foods. And I was locking in like 1500 calories per shake. And I was having that twice a day, which is now I wouldn't do because I know how to allocate my foods better throughout the day. But at the time, it's what I knew and what I went to because I was eating upwards to 4,500 plus calories a day. I think I was uh, memory serves me like 5,000 calories, which I wish I could do that now. But, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, so if I were to go and try to eat that in lentils and other fiber-filled foods uh, with vegetables, yeah, I wouldn't have all too pleasant of a of a night. I like what both of both Christian and Giacomo said here, but I also think, and this may be unpopular, but I definitely think there's some willpower that needs to happen in the beginning where you just need to accept that you're going to be full. You're going to be full and you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable. If you're used to eating 700 calories a day, which as you already know is far too little for any adult, uh, it's going to be uncomfortable to even bump it up to say a thousand calories a day at first. But just you know, once you make peace with that in your head, it becomes a lot easier to accept that I'm going to be uncomfortable for a few weeks while I transition into this. And then as you do, it becomes less and less uncomfortable and it begins to feel better and better. And then surprisingly, you will probably find that your body is hungry and actually craving these calories eventually. So if you can stick it out for a few weeks by increasing calories, even if it sucks, then you're probably going to have a lot of success in the long run. And that concludes another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to hit us up on social media and stay in touch at Muscles by Brussels or at Vegan Proteins on most social media platforms. Also, uh, if and when you get a chance, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or any one of the other podcasting apps or stations. It really does help us reach more listeners. Again, thank you for tuning in. Once again, my name's Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And I'm Christian. And you'll see us all next week or as soon as possible.